Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. From Matthew 7:13, 17, 17, and 24 through 27. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult, so few people find it. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. A reading from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, we're going to spend a few moments uh, just looking at the scriptures that were just read and talking about those together. I'm so uh, happy to see you all here and to be here with you. And I just want to say this. Uh, like, we did it. Like, like this, is, this is happening. Like, we're, like there's, we, we're not outside we're not on Zoom. feels amazing. I'm so, so glad. And I know these masks aren't the most fun thing, but you know what? It is so small compared to what has been over the last year and a half. And uh, so let's not let those get into our way at all in terms of letting this be a joyful celebration as a community. And we, we hope we can lose them soon, too, as we see some good progress happen in our community with the pandemic. I just want to say I'm so proud of our staff team. Um, my goodness, y'all, the work that has gone into preparing a home for 100 people on three weeks' notice is no joke, um, and a lot of care and time and energy has gone into it, and I'm so thankful for our staff team. And as we enter into this new season, uh, it feels appropriate to pause and to collect our breath. I know I need to do that and to consider God's invitation to us and our identity as a group of people. What kind of community will the parish be from here? Who are we? What makes this group of people distinct? Why do we gather here week after week? And what is our collective hunger? What's our spiritual desire? What is the the hope of our heart, where's the struggle, where's the gift, where's the beckoning toward awareness and our 
invitation to respond. And I think as I've thought about that, as we enter into this new season, we're going to spend the first few weeks here just talking about who the parish is and why we are the way we are, why we worship the way we do, things along those lines. So we're straying a bit from the lectionary over the first few weeks here just to talk about who we are and recollect ourselves in who we are. And I think as I've thought about uh, who we are and where we are, it begins by just naming this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Um, I, like, I don't know that I should be like the cheerleader because it's a tough time right now. And so I just want to ask you to answer the question that's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to, I want you to say this out loud. I am what? what? Like, think about your soul for a moment. Where are you right now? And say that to me. Exhausted. <laughs> Who else? Nervous. Nervous. Hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many stories in here. Torn's nervous because she's going to college today, right? Like, came to church before she went to college. Good for you. <laughs> and by the way, bless you into this new season. We're so grateful for you and the story of this community. Um, Hopeful. Yeah, we're carrying hope with us today. And we're exhausted. The first word I put on here was exhausted. (laughs) And frustrated. Honestly, I'm a little angry. When I really get in touch with it, I'm angry that we are all here with masks on. Not because I'm anti-mask. I think we need to love each other, and this is a practical way we can do so. I'm angry that we're still here. It's so long. It's been a long season. And, And we got a little bit of like what felt like a false summit, and then it's like, oh, there's another mountain and we have to push through that as well. And uh, it feels like many of us are perhaps angry because we're living under threat right now, and none of us are at our best when we're backed into a corner. None of us are our best selves when we're backed into a corner, and it feels like our health is under threat, and our children are under threat. I hated sending my kids back to school with masks in hand this week. For some of us, our finances or our small businesses feel like they're under threat. For some of us, our freedom may feel like it's under threat. I mean, various people are interpreting this moment in different ways. And I think some of those positions have more merit than others, but regardless, we are backed into corners right now. And with that comes just this pervasive sense of self-preservation. And we lash out because we feel like we're under threat. There's this feeling of scarcity in the air. Am I the only one who feels that? Do you all know what I'm talking about? Scarcity in the air. And beneath that burning and the bubbling of anger is a deep sadness. Uh, Because we see lives that have been lost, and we see uh, hopes that have been lost, and we see uh, happiness that has been lost. And there's this sense of futility and confusion. And I mean, I try to keep up with, like, what do we do with the pandemic? Like, that feels like part of my job right now, which is weird. And I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do. And in the midst of that confusion, I think about this word, liturgy. And this word, liturgy, is the word that we use for our worship together. It simply means the work of the people. The work of the people. But liturgy is not an exclusively religious word. It is a word for any public or private pattern that shapes who we are becoming. A public or private pattern that shapes the kind of people we are becoming. And I think about our cultural liturgy right now. 
you know, liturgy shaping us as a country. Americans consume 100,000 words of information per week on average. That's the equivalent of two books, but we don't read too many books. I mean, myself included, I would love to read more books, but many of us are reading blogs, and we're reading social media, and we're reading memes. We're getting 50 of our 100,000 words through memes alone, it feels like. And we're subtly shaped by these liturgies of our lives, and the liturgies are formed by these things, the environment that we are steeped in, plus our habits, plus our relationship, and it leads to the stories we believe about how and what things are true. And in our ears are the algorithms and the epidemiologists and the politicians and the personalities on talk radio, and collectively we can't even decide what is true. And that is part of the burden I feel. It used to be we argued about what to do in light of what was true, and now we don't even know what's true, it feels like. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, I am the truth. I don't have some truth. I can't point you to some truth. I am the truth, Jesus says. And the liturgies of our lives become our loyalties, and our loyalties determine who and what we love. And so we ought to be mindful of the liturgies that are shaping who we are becoming. I don't know if this rings true to you, but I was uh, reading the book of Judges, and there's this verse in the book of Judges that feels like thousands of years later, very apropos for our time, this is what it says. In those days, everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. <laughs> like, what a verse for this moment, right? We're just kind of all making it up as we go along. And so the, it begs the question, like, is there any distinctively Christian way to live right now? What makes us Christians? What speaks a better word of hope and peace? And so as a way of rooting and reminding in who we are, I want to consider the liturgy and the work of this people over the next few weeks. But before we can even consider the work of Jesus' people, I think we need to relocate ourselves in the way of Jesus' people. And so this morning we're talking about the way of Jesus. And this won't come as news to those of you who have been around the parish, but I just want to offer it as a reminder. And we read those words from Matthew 7, uh, verse 13. There are two paths before you. This is a slightly different translation. It's what Alan read. There are two paths before you. You may take only one path. One doorway is narrow. One door is wide. Go through the narrow door. And so we ask ourselves, who is Jesus to us? Because we can only take one path. What is the way of Jesus that we are invited into, that narrow way of living in this world that we are invited into? And I think when we think about the categories that Jesus is to many of us, uh, we have these different categories. In America, the dominant narrative is that Jesus is Savior, and certainly he is. Perhaps we think of Jesus as Son of God, and certainly he is. But the dominant narrative and category in Scripture for who Jesus is, is rabbi. Out of the 90 times talk, people talk to Jesus, over uh, the vast majority of them, they come and they say, rabbi, teacher, tell me about what I should do. They are coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you know something about how to live, and I need wisdom on it. And boy, if that's not an invitation to us, 
right now. And so they would go to a rabbi in that day and age. There's rabbis all over the place. They all have their own individual yoke or way of being in the world, and they all have their set of understandings of the teachings or the Torah. And the education system in those days was such that you would typically go to school through, uh, you know, fifth grade of what we would think. And you're, during that time, memorizing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So, uh, boy, uh, we've all got some work to do to catch up with the fifth graders. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the best of the best would be invited to the second set of schooling. Most would, that would be it, and now they're off to work at a vocation. But the best of the best are invited further into what was called the Bet Midrash, and they are memorizing the entire Old Testament, right? And, uh, and then, if you're looking for a rabbi, the best of the best of the best are invited to follow a rabbi. Most aren't. So they're off fishing, or they're off working in the fields. And so when a rabbi sees something in you and says, you have what it takes, they come to you and say, come, follow me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is primarily a teacher, and he is a master in the art of living. I mean, the call of Jesus was not simply and was really never about believing in a religion so that you can be saved after you die. The call of Jesus is, come be my apprentice under a specifically tailored yoke of how you ought to live right now. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus desires to teach you and me specific ways of training in the way he is inviting us into. And yet I default to the blogs and the books and the common wisdom of the day and whatever it is that I hear on the news. How is it possible that we have relegated the one who has the most to teach us about how we ought to live in confusing times like these and we've made him the one who has something to say about the next life but not this life? We've made him the one that we'll go to then but not now. And Jesus says, I am the way that is truth, and that is life. And yet in a moment of unprecedented reality, when we're all confounded, we're at the end of our resources, somehow we've made the teachings of Jesus optional, and I include the church in that, right? Like, ah, oh, well, Jesus, I, I appreciate those words of the Sermon on the Mount, but like, I've got a bank account to deal with. And I've got like a real person in front of me who's my enemy to deal with. And I can't, you know, that's, that's great for the next world. But Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for apprentices to the way of the kingdom of God and all are invited in. And that's why we gather here. And if you're lucky enough to be invited, there's three goals that each rabbi would ask of you. And I'm going to steal from John Mark Homer. He says this so succinctly. He says, the goals are this. You be with your rabbi. You become like your rabbi and you do what your rabbi did. And that can essentially summarize the Christian life right there. What would it look like to be with our rabbi 24-7 apprenticeship? What would it look like to become a carbon copy imitation? 
What would it look like to do what your rabbi did and then invite others to now imitate you as you imitate your rabbi? There was this Jewish blessing. May you follow so closely to your rabbi that you get covered in the dust he kicks up as he walks. And I think about our lives and I think about the Christian church in America and I wonder how we might get more dust on us from Jesus. And uh, so... The thing about following a rabbi is you can't do it as a hobby. You can't do it as a one day of the week slice of the pie. It has to be the whole deal. And we're all becoming disciples of something. We're shaping our lives around a particular yoke in a particular way, whether conscious or not. And we find ourselves in these moments where the pressure is on and we will default to whatever yoke we have decided to live under. I think that's the world as it exists right now, and the pressure has been on lately. Tell me if you relate to these words that Morgan, uh, no, Alan read these too. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house. <laughs> like, I relate to that right now. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house. And even in our church story over the last year and a half, like we have gone from zooming our faces to the sun in our faces to masks on our faces, right? It's like, you just leave my face alone for a while when I come to church. And it's been formative and we're stronger and we're shaped in the way of Jesus for having gone through it. But in the middle of that swirling storm, we find our wits when we remember Jesus saying, I am the way. Become like me. Be with me. Do what I do. And we remind ourselves that we don't grow in the likeness of our teacher through mental assent or by affirming certain moral beliefs or by trying really hard. It begins with the practice of shared presence. The practice of shared presence. Being present to the teacher and risking taking his yoke seriously enough to actually put it into practice in real daily life. I mean, that's what he says in Matthew 7. He says, those who put my words into practice are like a wise builder. Not just those who hear the words, but those who hear the words and then actually do something with them. Even if it's a fumbling, stumbling kind of practice. That's wisdom. And the pandemic has offered us possibilities for a new liturgy of who and what we love. It's a new liturgy for a church, and I use the capital C American church in this moment, and I say this with love as a part of it, but we need a new liturgy because we've got some disordered loves. And we need some medicine because we're a bit sick. And we need some course corrections because we're a bit wayward, but Jesus is the way. And God has not shielded us from small discomforts in this last season, but that's okay because following this way was always going to be uncomfortable, right? It's always going to be uncomfortable to forgive your enemies. It's always going to be uncomfortable to pray for someone other than your will to be done. It is always going to be uncomfortable to have an others-oriented posture of sacrifice or to hold nuance and complexity and mystery when we prefer certainty. But preserving comfort was never what this was about. And to have our comfort moved from the center where we are used to finding it to the margins is one of the better things that can happen for us. But we, we kick against it. We kick against it. Having said that, it doesn't set aside that it's hard. And so in the midst of this season of storm, here's what I want to invite us into first, and then we'll be done. The first thing for today is that invitation from Jesus. 
like it's no wonder, and it is a wonder that the rabbi says to you, come to me, come to me. We don't know what else to do, but Jesus says, come to me. We don't know where else to find peace, but Jesus says, come to me. We don't know what the truth is, but Jesus says, come to me. If you're wiped out, if you're exhausted, if you're nervous, if you're hopeful, come to me and reorient yourself in my way. It always starts with presence. Be with me, connect with me, abide in me, rest in me. And let's put up that Matthew 11 from the message. It's the second one on there, Danny, if you don't mind. Thanks. Is an anchor verse for the parish, and it always has been, and I think it will continue to be, and we're going to spend some time over the next four weeks looking at these specific invitations from Jesus in here. And this is what Morgan read, but just in a slightly different translation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I mean, we already named those things today. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then here's the invitations. There's first of all, come to me. Second of all, walk with me. Third of all, work with me. Fourth, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly and freely. And so that's what we're going to look at over the weeks to come. Um, if you go to that last one for me. Next week, come to me. What would it look like for us to be a church that is a prayer-filled church? We're talking about the distinctives of the parish and the distinctives of this way. It begins with presence to Jesus, that we might be present to others. Come to me. And then walk with me. What would it look like for us to be a formational church that reshapes and reorients and reforms how we live in this world through the act of keeping company and getting more dust kicked up on our lives? And then how do we work with Jesus and they've got to go in this order. We can't work with Jesus before we come to Jesus and before we're reshaped in the image of Jesus or we try to do a bunch of really good stuff and it backfires. And we see that happen all the time. We work with Jesus as a kingdom apprentice through justice and service and compassion and empathy and caring for the least of these and going to our jobs and owning our vocations and living into our stories. And then finally, watch how I do it because we can do all of the things, but if we do the form of Jesus without the spirit of Jesus, we end up missing what is most critical. And we'll look at those one by one over the weeks to come. But first, the invitation is just this. It's just come to me. So I'm going to invite David to come up and play on the guitar for a minute. And we're just going to do that for a moment. Um, we're going to take a few minutes to pray, to come to Jesus right now. Because if you're like me, it's hard once you leave here to sometimes find the space. So our kids are in classes, and we have a little space. And so David's going to play on the piano or the, the guitar for a minute. And I want to invite us into praying into coming to Jesus. And would you just close your eyes and let's just practice, right? Those who hear my words and put them into practice. I don't want you to just hear a sermon. I want us to hear and then put it into practice. And so we begin with the invitation of Jesus, I am the way. Like really, like I really am the way the master of the art of living, and I say to you, come 
follow me. And as we create some space in our hearts now, become aware of the presence of Jesus. the rabbi who chose you. And he said, learn from me this way, this yoke, this distinct approach to life. Become aware this morning of whatever the rains are that have been falling and the floods coming and the winds beating against your house and just hold those in front of you as you keep company with Jesus. Consider as you try to make sense of this storm what the dust is that has been mostly covering you in this last season. What are you following? And if you need to, would you take a moment now and repent of that and come back to the way? today, would we go as people who are cognizant of what it might look like to get a little bit more awareness of the spirit of Jesus with us, with us in it, and a little bit more of the dust of Jesus kicked up on us as we follow him. In the boots on the ground way he taught us to live. Yes and amen.
Amen.